Mackenzie Scott gives away $4.2 billion in four months. Now, if you don't know who Mackenzie Scott is, she is the ex-wife of Jeff Bezos, because obviously he cheated on her and they got divorced. So Mackenzie Scott is giving away her fortune at an unprecedented pace, donating more than $4 billion in four months after announcing $1.7 billion in gifts in July. The world's 18th richest person outlined the latest contributions in a blog post Tuesday, saying she asked her team to figure out how to give away her fortune faster. Scott's wealth has climbed $23.6 billion this year to $60.7 billion, according to the Bloomberg Billionaires Index, as Amazon.com Incorporated, the primary source of her fortune, has surged. Now, think about this for a second, right? Just, like, put this in, like, your shoes, right? Like, think of this as if you were in her position, whether you be a guy, girl, box, whatever, whatever you are, right? Say you got divorced, you were not the main source breadwinner, right? You originally got basically, what, like a few billion dollars, right? So you basically made a few billion dollars automatically from the divorce, right? Well, actually, it wasn't a few, it was quite a lot of billions, right? But technically speaking, you most likely didn't really earn it, right? Because, I mean, with that amount of money, the household things that someone would normally do would probably be already taken care of. So, again, I kind of feel like she didn't really earn anything from this specific situation. But let's say that you were, again, in her situation, but you didn't really necessarily earn a crazy amount of billions of dollars, right? And then you ended up making an absurd amount of an extra few billion dollars, right? Of literally not doing anything, but because your ex-husband is literally doing everything he can to improve the business that he runs, which causes you to be super rich even more, right? It's crazy when you think about it. Like, she's literally, she could literally do nothing. She could literally do nothing and make an insane amount of money for the rest of her life, right? And you could kind of tell that she's kind of feeling some sort of, like, guilty complex from this. Because why else would she continuously be trying to give away her money, right? Because technically speaking, she didn't really earn any of it, right? And this is something that you could kind of see with, like, lottery winners, right? Lottery winners, typically, if they end up making something more than, like, a million dollars from the lottery, is pretty much almost a guarantee. It's like like a 78, or no, no, not a 78. It's more like an 80 to 90% likelihood that the lottery winner will lose every single thing and maybe even more so within five years after winning the lottery and they're more depressed after winning the lottery, right? A lot of lottery winners end up not being happy from it. Because technically speaking, you didn't work for any of it. You basically was just gifted it. And if basically you're anyone who's kind of normal, whenever someone just gives you something, 
without you like working for something or like necessarily asking for it, it gives you kind of like a weird feeling, right? I mean, you could test this with yourself, right? But for the most part, most people feel kind of iffy when they're just given money. So I feel like she has some sort of guilty complex, and that's kind of like why she keeps trying to push, giving away a lot of her money that she technically didn't earn. So according to her, this pandemic has been a wrecking ball in the lives of Americans already struggling. She wrote in the post on Medium, which, funny enough, on Medium, you get paid for writing a post on there. It's just kind of funny. Economic losses and health outcomes alike have been worse for women, for people of color, and for people living in poverty. Meanwhile, it has substantially increased the wealth of billionaires. Scott's gifts this year approached $6 billion, which has to be one of the biggest annual distributions by a living individual to work in charities, according to Melissa Berman, Chief Executive Officer of Rockefeller Philanthropy Advisors. Berman says Scott's donations show that it's possible to give large amounts quickly without requiring nonprofits to jump through a lot of hoops to get the money. The size of Scott's gifts also disprove a common theory that it's hard to deploy vast amounts of money without running into trouble or proving wasteful. Now, here's the thing that I got to say also about giving money to charity. Yes, there are some charities that can be good, but you have to do a lot of research on those charities. You got to make sure that they're very upfront as to how much money, like how much does of every dollar that you give ends up going for running the nonprofit or for the actual things that they're trying to do, right? I think the best setup for a charity, if anyone's actually going to donate to a charity, is one if they have two funds, right? They have a fund that is strictly for what they're trying to do, right? Their mission. So you could donate to that. Then there's the fund of actually funding the organization, right? So take, for example, let's just say like Wikipedia, right? Wikipedia continuously asks for donations to support the whole system, right? I feel like if a charity were to do that, where it strictly states, hey, please donate to us so that we could continue running our operations for like the infrastructure, but then also have a separate thing for strictly for their charity goals as to what they're actually going to do, your money will go 100% to those things if you decide to do it, if you put it in that situation. Because I think I have seen a couple of charities that actually do that where they like strictly state, you know, every single dollar that you donate is actually going to go to the cause. But we also want you to donate to us directly to support our infrastructure as well. Right. So basically, let's say you donate like a hundred thousand dollars, you split that half. So fifty thousand dollars goes directly to the cause, and then fifty thousand goes directly to the infrastructure. But typically, it's more like the infrastructure, and like a lot of the charities in those cases, the infrastructure is typically paid off by super wealthy individuals like Mackenzie Scott, and the actual causes are paid for by the common people, pretty much. So Scott's advisors zeroed in on 384 groups to receive gifts, she said in the post. After considering almost 6,500 organizations, donations were focused on those 
operating in communities facing high projected food insecurity, high measures of racial inequity, high local poverty rates, and low access to philanthropic capital. Recipients include more than 30 institutions of higher education, which to me, I feel like donating to higher education kind of seems pointless, including several tribal colleges and historically black colleges and universities, and more than 40 food banks received money. That one I do like, as did almost four dozen local affiliates of Goodwill Industries International. Goodwill actually does some pretty good good things, so that's pretty cool too. Scott King, the executive director for Meals on Wheels of Tampa, said he didn't even apply for the grant they received. Instead, her team contacted the nonprofit, which delivers food to about 850 homes and makes about 2,600 meals each day. That is something that I do like. This comes at a great time for us, he said. There are areas in and around Tampa that aren't being served and need to be. Betsy Beeman, CEO of Maine-based Costa Enterprises Incorporated, said it received $10 million, equivalent to the size of their annual operating budget. As they show of how powerful Scott's enormous fortune is, especially when she decides to give to smaller organizations. That is true. See, I like the fact that she's giving a good amount of money to small organizations to basically keep them funded. Because, yeah, a lot of small organizations that like kind of like help their community has been horribly affected by this whole situation. As an amazing day at the end of what's been a very challenging year, said Beeman, whose nonprofit provides financing and advice to small businesses and entrepreneurs, especially those from rural areas or disadvantaged groups. Scott listed the names of the groups that received the money, just as she did for the 116 organizations in her July letter. In her announcement this summer, Scott said she decided to make the gifts public in part to call attention to organizations and leaders driving change. Philanthropy experts applauded Scott's work not only for how quickly she's given away her fortune, but also how she's gone about it. She shares the results of her research and criteria so that donors of all levels can learn about organizations that are particularly worthy of support, said Boston College Law Professor Ray Madoff. Okay, I don't really like that name, Madoff. Just, you know, just out of principle. I don't really necessarily like that last name. Madoff is part of a coalition of academics, large foundations, and billionaire donors urging reform of U.S. philanthropic rules. More than $1 trillion sits in foundations and donor-advised funds that could be unlocked for charity, the group argues. Scott, who is 50, who is formerly married to Amazon Chief Executive Officer Jeff Bezos, signed the Giving Pledge in 2019, promising to give away the majority of her fortune. I have a disproportionate amount of money to share, she wrote in her pledge. My approach to philanthropy will continue to be thoughtful. It will take time and effort and care, but I won't wait, and I will keep at it until the safe is empty. This year has also been an active year for Bezos' philanthropy. In February, he committed $10 billion to issues related to climate change, and last month announced the first of those grants totaling nearly $800 million to 16 groups. He also disclosed another round for grants of his Day One Fund, giving away more than $100 million to 42 organizations 
that combat family homelessness. Bezos, who is 56, kept three quarters of the couple's Amazon shares in the divorce, meaning his, maintaining his status as the world's richest person with a fortune of 185 billion dollars, according to the Bloomberg Index. His net worth has increased 70 billion dollars this year. Feel free to give your thoughts about this situation. What do you think about her? Basically, allocating pretty much almost all of her funds to be eventually be donated to charities. Right? To me, I still think that there's some sort of kind of like guilty complex here, where it's basically like anyone who just gets free money and hasn't necessarily earned it feels a kind of a guilty like it's like a guilty weight on their shoulders, right? Because even though they didn't do anything wrong. Especially in her case, because obviously Jeff Bezos cheated on her, right? Obviously, and also just saying this, you know, anecdotally, he cheated on her with, you know, I personally think someone who's a little bit less attractive than her, and probably seems a little bit less like someone who's loyal, right? Just my thoughts, right? So nothing wrong against her, right? Wanting to spend the money. And I like how she's doing it. I like that she's trying to do it to try to help better and just better communities. I think that's really nice. I think that's really cool for someone in her position. Because the thing is, depending on her personality and her lifestyle, she could pretty much live on literally like maybe five million dollars, and she literally has crazy amounts of billions of dollars still. And she's still giving more, right? Like it was crazy. If she plays it right, right? If she does it in a very smart way, according to like you know following advice from her advisors, what she could technically do, right, is keep the amount of shares that she has, right, but basically share off or like sell off a certain amount each year without necessarily losing any money. So that her portfolio technically increases every year, which allows her to donate every single year an increasingly amount of money without hurting herself financially, right? Because the thing is, if she really wants to help as much as she can, she would want to keep the money around as long as possible, growing at a very nice rate, so that she could continuously donate to charities that she believes in. Right, but again, feel free to give your thoughts about this. What are your What are your thoughts about basically the divorcee of a situation where they have this crazy amount of wealth that they technically didn't necessarily earn, but are giving a good amount away? Oh Lord, Biden catches a code. Now, personally, I don't really know how this became like newsworthy, but. Let's get into it. So, President-elect Joe Biden confirmed that he is battling a slight cold following a speech on Monday night, in which he stopped several times to clear his throat while addressing the nation on the Electoral College's vote to formally confirm his victory. Biden's voice was slightly hoarse during the address, which took place shortly after he surpassed the 270-vote threshold required to win the White House. The president-elect admitted feeling under the weather during a virtual call with supporters after the speech. Thank you. I have a little bit of a cold. I'm sorry, but look, you know, you did it. You did it. Not a joke, Biden said. 
during the live stream. This campaign for president was more like the first time I ran as a 29-year-old for the Senate. I believe that ordinary folks and extraordinary folks would get together and make this work. You didn't let us down. You didn't let the country down. I really mean it. Think about it. The Biden-Harris team has undergone frequent tests for COVID-19 in recent weeks. Biden was most recently tested for the virus last Friday, according to White House poll reports, and that test came back negative. Biden won 306 in the Electoral College, the same number that President Trump earned in his victory over Hillary Clinton in 2016. In his speech, the president-elect noted that judges across the country had found no cause or evidence was found to reverse or question or dispute the results, despite the Trump campaign's ongoing legal challenge. Biden reiterated his pledge to defeat the coronavirus pandemic while acknowledging the U.S. death toll suppressed the grim milestone of 300,000 this week. I know we'll get through this one together, Biden said. That's how we get through it together. So as we start the hard work to be done, may this moment give us the strength to rebuild this house of ours upon a rock that can never be washed away. A warning to all investors, the IRS is setting the trap for Bitcoin and virtual currency investors on 2020 tax form. The Internal Revenue Service, the IRS, is making it harder for taxpayers to conceal cryptocurrency transactions, whether intentionally or not, by adding a new question about it near the top of the new form 1040. The form released last week asked, at any time during 2020, did you receive, sell, send, exchange, or otherwise acquire any financial interest in any virtual currency? The only option is to mark yes or no. If you answer inaccurately, you could find yourself in hot water with Uncle Sam who is rooting out tax evaders, tax professionals warned. When you sign the form, it's under the penalty of perjury, said Ryan Lossy, a certified public accountant and executive vice president of PSIC, a tax firm. The IRS is just gathering the data, changing the forms to expressly say you did or didn't, and setting the trap so in the coming years, the hammer can come down. Since 2014, the agency considers virtual currencies as a capital asset that must be treated as a property when it comes to taxes. Similar to stocks or bonds, any gains or losses from the sale or exchange of cryptocurrency is taxed as a capital gain or loss. Any income generated from mining Bitcoin or other cryptocurrencies is also taxable, which to me is just crazy, right? But the IRS has been investigating for years to determine how many crypto investors have been underreporting their holdings. In 2018, Coinbase, the largest custodian of virtual currencies, was forced to disclose information on 13,000 user accounts under an IRS summons. The agency also sued to force Bits, Bitstamp to release more information on a taxpayer 
who had requested a fifteen thousand four hundred and seventy-five tax refund in an amended return. The IRS included the same question on the twenty nineteen tax return, but it was placed on top of Schedule One, used to report certain additional income or adjustments to income. According to Lewis Tom, a certified public accountant and director of tax services at Berkowitz Pollock Brandt Advisors and CPAs, the problem was that not many people file Schedule One with their return. He said, so the agency moved it to the first page of the tax return. In my view, the IRS is treating omitted virtual currency transactions in the same manner it pursues foreign bank accounts of U.S. taxpayers. Tob said, by asking the question on top of the first page of the return, the IRS is making it clear that any income from gains or losses from virtual currency must be reported on the return. Now, feel free to give your thoughts, right? Like, because how do you feel, right? Like, if you're someone who is like, you know, holding all the way, loves Bitcoin or Ethereum or even Dogecoin, which that thing is like literally worthless, but If you're someone who's interested in cryptocurrency, or if you mine anything, or all that kind of stuff, right? Like, if you do anything involved in cryptocurrency, and you're not like a crypto scammer, that's probably going to comment on this video. What are your thoughts, right? Like, how's this going to affect you? Because I typically don't really do anything with crypto, right? I mean, technically speaking, if you want to donate cryptocurrency. You could in the description below, right? But that basically never happens, and I just don't understand how this is going to affect like the small people, or maybe even bigger people, right? Like, let's say that you have like a crazy following. Let's say that you got like a million subscribers, and people end up donating like Bitcoin to you, right? Well, I mean, if you got One thousand loyal followers, subscribers,、uh, like out of that one million people, which is very possible, and they donate Bitcoin to you, and it could be like a good amount. Because the thing is, you never know who's watching your videos, you never know who's following your content, and you could end up having like a super super wealthy individual, possibly even in another country. Donating cryptocurrency to you just because they either like they like your stuff and they want to support you, and it could be like huge sums of money, right? Like just huge sums of money. I think I remember seeing something like a clip a while ago, and this person I think was like a Minecraft streamer, right? And they got donated like a hundred thousand dollars in Bitcoin, right, on stream. I forget when that was. I forget when that clip was made, but someone who was streaming Minecraft got a hundred thousand dollars in cryptocurrency, specifically in Bitcoin, right? And I don't think this is when Bitcoin was.、Um, I think when the person was streaming, I don't think it was when it was like nineteen thousand, right? I think it was a lot smaller than that. So imagine if it was right now, or like you know, around this time, say it was like around like twenty thousand dollars, right, per Bitcoin. That could have possibly been worth maybe like a few million dollars now, or like at this time. So how are you going to pay taxes on that? Like how are you going to calculate the taxes on this? Because I feel like it's going to get so complicated 
as time goes on as to how are they going to be taxing this to each individual. Like, it could be a pretty sticky situation, right? Like, it's just crazy. But again, it might be something where, similar to like a house or a stock, right? Where like, you probably wouldn't get taxed it unless you were to actually sell it, right? Because it's technically like capital gains, like basically like a property. So I could see it being something like where, let's say that you you know, invested $1,000 into a cryptocurrency, right? Then it goes somehow to like a million dollars worth. And then you sell it because obviously that's like a freak thing and you want to bank a crazy amount of money from that $1,000 investment, right? So maybe depending on how long you wait, maybe like after like a year or so, you could probably get that, you know, 15%, 20%, you know, capital gains tax rate roughly, right? I'm just doing this off of back of my head, top of my head, whatever the term is. And you could probably keep like the majority of that money and just pay like, you know, less than a quarter of that in taxes. If that's the case, that's not too bad. If it's really only when you're selling it like a property, right? So feel free to give your thoughts. So the instructions that go with the Form 1040 explain how and when you must report your virtual currency holdings and transactions. But cryptocurrency can be tricky, Lucy said, because some people use their virtual currency account as a payment account, for instance, buying a Starbucks latte with Bitcoin. But if you completed that purchase using gains from your cryptocurrency investments, that would be a taxable event, Lucy said. That would go on Schedule D of the 1040, he said. But simply holding virtual currency doesn't mean you need to be taxed on it. If you acquire the virtual currency and haven't spent it or exchanged it out for other currency, you don't have a triggering event for tax purposes, Losi said. It is an unrealized gain. Okay, that's, that basically answered my question, my assumption. So pretty much exactly what I was thinking. Let's say that you truly believe in cryptocurrency. Right, like just truly believe in the actual cryptocurrency. What I would suggest, right, for anybody who wants to be one of those hold members, right, is basically every month you put a certain amount of money out of your monthly income into cryptocurrencies that you believe in for the long term, right? That way, as it grows, as it continues to grow. Right. Let's say this is like 10, 20 years from now. Right. And Bitcoin ends up actually becoming like one hundred thousand dollars a piece or a million dollars a piece. Something crazy. Right. Because I don't think it's going to go to zero, but it's going to probably get to a higher number just because of the scarcity. Right. Of Bitcoin, because there's a certain amount that's actually going to exist in this lifetime. So I could see someone doing that. Just keep investing it. Just invest it almost like, now don't put all your money in it, right? You want to have a diversified portfolio, but I feel like it's actually worthwhile for you to put, like let's say that you make like $2,000 a month, right? And I'm just going to say like after ta- like after taxes, after your monthly expenses, you got $2,000 left over to invest, right? Just to keep things simple. Well, what I would suggest would be like $1,500 go into your, normal retirement investments like your Roth IRA or you know your 401k all that kind of stuff 
and then like the five hundred dollars left over out of the two like two thousand dollars, I'd probably put it into cryptocurrency if that's something that I believe in, right? Because it's basically the exact same thing. It's just like another currency. It's just like a property, right? So that's the way I would view it. That's the way I would invest into it. I would definitely wouldn't be someone who's like a day trader unless you were to like get super lucky where you invested when it was super low and then it just skyrockets within like a year or two years to where like you're making like six figures or seven figures in a short amount of time yeah i'd probably sell at that time pocket the difference put it into like an investment or buy a house depending on your situation and just be happy with the gains that i got right that's what i would do if i was in anyone's shoes feel free to give what you would do like what your thoughts on this if you were to watch this because i like the idea of it only being taxed when you were to actually sell it right that is okay with me because that's just like stocks so if you don't sell stocks you're not going to get taxed on it so that's the exact same thing feel free to give your thoughts on the matter can you retire a millionaire with index funds one of the most important investing decisions you'll need to make is exactly where to put your money. Index funds are a great option for retirement because they're a relatively safe choice that can limit your risk. But can you retire a millionaire by investing in index funds? It's possible if you have a strategy in place. So why invest in index funds? Index funds are large collections of stocks that track a particular stock market index, such as the S&P 500 or the Dow Jones Industrial Average. Like any investment, there are pros and cons for index funds. So the advantages. They follow the market, so they're more likely to rebound from market downturns. Because they contain hundreds or thousands of different stocks, they provide instant diversification they typically charge lower fees than actively managed mutual funds and index funds have historically outperformed actively managed mutual funds disadvantages by definition they cannot beat the market and will only experience average returns you cannot choose the stocks in the fund, so you could be stuck investing in stocks you wouldn't normally choose. If the stock market as a whole experiences a downturn, index funds will fall as well. Now, it typically takes decades to see significant growth. Despite the downsides, index funds can be a great investment when saving for retirement and if you start saving early enough, you may be able to retire a millionaire, a millionaire, right? Now, the thing that you really got to understand with index funds, right, as opposed to individual stocks, index funds are more of a buy and hold and forget strategy, right? And it's something that pretty much 90% of the population should be doing, right? Now, the reason why you would want to do this is because the majority of the population does not have the time to research individual companies, individual stocks, 
basically their charts, their background, all their financials, right? 90% of the people in the world just don't have the time, right? But the 10% probably would make an actually good amount of money doing in like individual stocks or doing cryptocurrency or doing all these other different things. The only thing is they have the time to invest into actually research, right? Because this is the problem. You never want to put money into something that you truly do not understand. But with index funds, since you pretty much will, since it's like pretty much super safe, right? And basically every single year, there's always been basically a return on the money. And most like mutual fund managers can't even match it by you simply just investing basically in the S&P 500. It's actually a pretty safe bet to actually just put your money into it and forget it, right? Because it's just been consistent for so long that it's actually pretty safe. Whereas if you were to invest into like individual stocks, that stock could, well, that company technically could just be completely out of business and you lose every single thing that you put into it. Whereas if you invest into the whole stock market, pretty hard to lose all of your money, right? Because the thing is, you never want to just hold on to your money, right? You, like, for example, a million dollars in an index fund will gradually grow and pretty much would double every seven to eight years, right? But if you were to keep the million dollars in your bank account or under your bed because you're afraid of bank accounts and you don't trust them, you basically will never get a return on your money. That's the whole point, right? Because the point of investing is so that you get money in the future and that you don't lose money simply from inflation. So how to retire with $1 million or more? Because index funds offer slow but steady growth, you'll ideally need to invest for several decades to accumulate $1 million. But if you save consistently, index funds can be a reliable way to build a healthy retirement fund. Say, for example, you have 30 years before you retire and you want to save $1 million. The S&P 500 has experienced an average annual return of around 10%, since its inception, and if your index funds also earn a 10% annual return, you'll need to save just over $500 per month over 30 years to reach the million-dollar mark. Exactly how much you need to save each month will depend on your age, the amount you currently have saved, as well as how many years before you retire. For instance, if you only have 20 years left to save, but are still earning a 10% annual return, you'd have to save a whopping $1,500 per month to reach $1 million. So the more time you have to save, the easier it will be to achieve your goal. So are index funds right for you? And this is a pretty big thing. So investing in index funds requires patience because it will take years or even decades to see substantial growth. But because of their diversification and ability to recover from market crashes, 
they are one of the safest investment options, which can be perfect for investors looking to limit the risk. Now, this is also another thing that you gotta be careful of because people are super emotional. Again, the whole point of these index funds is for you to buy, hold, and forget. Keyword forget. Now, the reason why I say that is that let's take for example this whole uh, crazy stock crash that happened this year in 2020. If you were an emotional person and you had all of your money into index funds and you saw it drop like 30-40% basically in like a single month, right? You might have sold your investments at the bottom of the market. But if you completely forgot about your stuff and you've always kept investing every single month on autopilot and you just never really even looked at your balance, right? You'd be doing super well right now if you did not sell because you were emotional. Because if you just literally just don't care about it, that's the best situation for you, right? But a lot of people get obsessed with their investments. A lot of people get emotionally tied to their investments. And the thing is, for index funds, and basically just stock markets in general, but specifically with index funds, you just buy, hold, and forget, and let it ride long term. So keep in mind too, that no matter where you choose to invest your money, it's wise to take a long term investing approach. So even if you invest in individual stocks rather than index funds, you should still aim to buy solid stocks and keep your money invested for as long as possible. Your goal when investing in the stock market shouldn't be to get rich quickly. So be prepared to stay invested for the long haul, no matter where you put your money. If you choose to invest in index funds, starting early and saving consistently can help you retire a millionaire. Now, this is also another way because you don't need to make a lot of money to do this, right? You just got to do this all the time, right? So, for example, let's say that you end up going out to eat every single weekend of every month, right? So, four times a month, right? How about you just cut that to two and how much you would have spent going out on the other two? You just put that into index funds and completely forget about it, right? Like you have to be that consistent, right? Like you have to be consistently doing it every single month. You have to consistently be investing into the market all the time for this to actually work for you, right? Because the thing is with investing and just wanting to like grow your wealth, the point is to get enough money so that you don't have to worry about things when you can no longer work, right? Or you could get yourself into a position where you're not stressed about money. Because I think the greatest power that anyone can have is when they're in a situation where They don't necessarily have to care about spending five bucks at the grocery store for like a Red Bull, right? Or like at a gas station for like an $8 Red Bull, right? Like if you're able to get into that situation where you're no longer stressing about that, then that's a pretty good life because your investments could pay for that. Like a million dollars in index funds could easily pay for 
basically a very nice lifestyle, right? As long as you keep your expenses reasonable, a million dollars in index funds will be able to retire you pretty much, right? The whole FIRE movement. Feel free to give your dot thoughts, not thoughts, but thoughts. Check out 40inbox.com to master your money, personal finance lessons and courses, and do you want to make money online? Learn the four steps to make money online in the description of this episode. Get a free stock worth up to $500 by joining Robinhood and linking a bank account, and automate your investing with Acorns down in the description below.